Hello, legends, and welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club of United Business, Australia's number one members club, connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today I'm connecting you to Tim Griffiths, a Cub member. He is the CEO and founder of XREF, a reference checking software company that has six offices globally. Uh, they're publicly listed on the ASX. Tim is an incredible entrepreneur. We had a great conversation about failing businesses and and having the courage to start again Uh, the difference between operating a publicly listed company as opposed to a a startup and scale up Uh, we discuss what makes a a good pitch deck and presentation we discuss business strategy he was just a brilliant guy and and this episode probably had some of the most knowledge of any of the episodes we've done so i'm very excited for you to hear it enjoy the show And we're live. Welcome to the show, Mr. Griffiths. How are you? Very well, thank you. Do you know, we got, oh, I mean, oh, I know you know because you were there, but do you remember how we got here today? We were just, I was lounging around in the front of the clubhouse in the reception area of the clubhouse as, as I usually do when I'm doing nothing at work and and uh, you strolled on through and and we, we just started having a... Having I just a, sat down and thought, yeah. what's it like, you know? <laughs> got nothing else to do so yes. i should sit there and just have a chat you know yeah, two, be rude not to two ceos sitting around exactly two business owners, oh we've got nothing to do let's have yeah, a chat fantastic it was yeah. a great chat yeah it was and, about and then i end up long. here how did that work i know well, i was like we can talk this easily we may as well actually do it for the podcast mm. plus i discovered you i knew you were incredible because you're already a member but i discovered for myself firsthand and not just how entertaining and brilliant you are but also had a bit of a glimpse into your knowledge and, and, and your experience in business. And obviously I jumped at that opportunity to get you on the show today to have all the listeners benefit from that. And that's what we're going to do. That's great. Thank you. Um, but I, w- I wouldn't say brilliant, but you know, I, I'll, I'll take it. I actually would say, I would say brilliant. And, and, and the listeners are going to go, are going to know exactly why. And why actually, why don't we just, let, let's find out more about you. Let's, let's talk about where you're from and kind of how you got uh, to where you are today with, because currently XREF is in, uh, was it, how many different countries? Uh, we're 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 a global company, so we've got four global offices um, based in Sydney. Incredible, so, over a hundred yeah. staff. You're ASX yeah. listed. ASX listed, yeah. Uh, so so we want to know a lot of learning in that. What you're yet, and that we're going to dig into it. So we want to know where you're from, how you got to where you are, and what actually led you down that path. So why don't you take it from there? I'm well. I suppose I've I've taken a very well, I don't know whether it's unconventional, bearing in mind some of the people I speak to at Cub, but, you know, I'm I'm the classic 16-year-old that left school because didn't know what they wanted to do. Um, so made my mum and dad quite disappointed by the fact I'm leaving at 16 and go and get a proper job, um, originally from the UK, obviously. And, and um, I suppose I always liked business, even when I was at school. So I left... Um, and really just got a job as a boy Friday, you know, working for a company in London, you know, shuffling paper around and opening envelopes and, you know, doing, answering fax machines, you know, for, for those of you who remember what fax machines are. Um, I actually don't. Yeah, well, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no story. I'll, I'll train you on these yeah, to fix them as well, but that's you. another story. Um, you know, and from there, I was originally from um, near Gatwick Airport and uh, I sort of got you know, about a year into it, I got fed up with the commute, uh, ended up working for a freight company in the airport, um, very much like yourself. And I was chasing people for money, I literally on the phone, um, chasing people for money, uh, which is quite an interesting job because you, you know, learn, learn a lot by picking the phone up and cold calling people and saying, you owe us money, give us some money. That was one of the most 
uh, as you know, I had I was a debt collector yeah. myself, and and I reckon that's one of the if you want to learn a lot about just oh, about how to talk to people and how to work with people mm. rather than against mm. them, that was the job that did that. I, for I me think the most. other one as well is everyone should work behind a bar. Yeah, if you work behind a bar, you see the best of people and the worst of people. Okay, so I worked behind a bar, and you know in you know, in earlier on and worked in a hotel and did silver service and all this, just stuff to bring money in. So immersed myself in this. But but essentially I was working at this freight company. Um, at the time they were rolling out this um, IT system and I used to work in the evenings trying to pull all of the data that I needed to chase people for money the next day and um, ended up sort of putting keyboards on desks and things like that. thought, oh, I quite like this. So at the time I, I, I left there about after about a year and um, went and retrained in IT and data comms. And I landed a job with a company called Deck, who's no longer you know, no longer a company out there, got bought by ultimately HP. And I was a hardware engineer for eight years. So I literally had a van and I'd go around and I'd fix systems. I used to fix ATMs. How systems. old were you at this time? Oh, I was like 18. So I did that for So you're still very young. Yeah, yeah. And, and can I ask, you mentioned... I only just had a driving license <laughs> and they gave me a brand new car. <laughs> yeah, Fools. <laughs> and can I ask, your, your, you mentioned your parents were disappointed because you dropped out of school at 16. Were, were your parents in business? Or? No, they, they weren't really disappointed, I suppose, as element. No, my, my father ran his own business. Yeah. Very much like my, so my father ran blood. his own business. Yeah, I mean, Absolutely. It, was, you, you, it was something that was uh, accessible to you. It was. Um, my mother was um, an English school teacher, used to teach English, and my father ran a printing business. And the sort of thing was that, you know, in the late... Oh, so it was early 80s. So your mother was the one that was disappointed with yeah, you as a teacher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, she still corrects my punctuation and, and English now. It's even worse. I'm picking up an Australian accent <laughs> afterwards. But anyway, no. So um, my, my father um, ran a printing business and uh, we had vented computers and things. Obviously, that went down the pan. Although now everyone's print, printing, you know, COVID stickers. It's probably a great business today. But, you know, back then, 30 odd years ago, it wasn't. Um, and, and I knew I wanted to do something again. You know, he, he but I wasn't a... I wasn't ever going to be at university. I wasn't a good student. You know, I was always the guy standing outside the, um, the school when headmaster walked past and says, Griffith's outside the door again. Yeah, so you know, I can relate to Yeah, that. exactly who I was. So I was just – and I always liked people. So, uh, I, yeah, I became an engineer for um, eight years. And then from that, because I had a background in um, technology – uh, I went to go and work for, when I left there, I went to go and I got made redundant, which was sort of good, took some money and I was still, you know, in my early twenties and, um, went to go and work for basically as a contractor. So I walked into companies that had systems and I helped them build help desks. And, um, I'm, I'm my, what I'm very good at is, um, taking business problems and fixing them from a, either a technical level or realigning business problems and putting technology in to help them or just really, you know, working out the analytics that needs to happen behind it. So and I did, did that with, um, you know, for a few years. And did you discover that you were good at that in that job when you were 18? No, when, I just discovered that I liked it and I thought, well, I'll do what I like, yes. you know, I discovered I'm good at it. I mean, at the end of the day, I started as a junior engineer and by the time I left, I had a team of, you know, I was 24, 25. I had a team of like 15 engineers. I was Southeast of England support, you know, and, and when big stuff happened, then I'd get involved. So, I, I mean, to be quite honest, that business made me the person I am today because the first lesson, um, and I might be jumping around a bit, that I learned was they used to put you out with a senior engineer at the time. And the guy said to me, he said, when you walk into a company, everyone adds value. 
from the receptionist to the security guard to the postboy to the EA to the typing pool because they had typing pools back then. Everybody knows what happens in that business. And you, if you treat everyone as an equal, you'll understand what you need to do to get through business. And that stuck with me through day. Like I will talk to absolutely everybody um, because I'm genuinely interested in the value they offer to the business, what the business is, and everyone has a different slant on it. So, it, it, you know, from that, walking out of a structured business and then into an unstructured, you're on yourself working, you know, as a consultant or a contractor in businesses, you have to really, really hit the deck running. So that ability to communicate, the ability to ask questions and the ability to very quickly assimilate information is um, was paramount to, to what I did. And how have you put that lesson into your current leadership style that, I, that kind of speak to everyone lesson because it's something that um, uh, many great leaders have have mentioned to me one in particular comes to mind is adrian hondros who's yeah uh, he, I, I, met I met adrian yeah great yeah. guy uh, he uh, is a great mentor of mine in regards to many things leadership is one of them and um, when he was the head of the private bank at combank he said to me he knew absolutely every single person's mm. first and last name and would speak to them about you know, how their lives are going mm. whenever he bumped into them, uh, everyone. And it's a bank. There's a lot of people yeah. there. So um, I, I guess I'm relating that similar to I, that. I suppose it's um I'm number one, I'm quite terrible with names, um, but I do tend to remember faces and, and <laughs> hey, situations. Hey, Fanny, come over here. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Oi, yeah, exactly. Oi, oi, mate, you know, yeah. whatever. It works really well in Australia. Yeah. Um, but I, I think there's elements there where, you know, um, I, I it's more around um, – Yes, definitely interested in the people. I am shocking with names. I've, I've got ways around that. But um, I think that for me it's just being genuinely interested in in people. I always have been interested in people from the point where, you know, when I left that company and then I got a phone – people ring me up randomly. I got a random phone call from a guy um, that said, listen, you did this, this and this. Um, we've got a great project in Luxembourg. Could you come and help us? And I'm like – that sounds like fun. Let's go and do that. He said, well, we need a team. I said, I know two guys. So I grabbed these two guys. We jumped in a beaten up old Ford Granada and drove to Luxembourg, which is only a five hour drive from the UK. Mm. And I spent 18 months over there doing um, some specific technology around satellite launches for Sky TV across the UK. So, you know, and, and again, I met a great, great group of people there that then followed me through, you know, the rest of my career. And, and, and how do you think... You've obviously got a very technical brain. That's where you, you love that technology side, the yeah, analytical side. Yeah, I'm a little side. bit geeky. Yeah, but that's cool. And what is <laughs> – yeah, you are a geek. Yeah, <laughs> but, that's all right. But what I was trying to say was – but what, what do you think it traits of people who are good with technology? Because – Well, it's a it, tough one because I think there's um, – you, you know, I'm a technologist, right? I don't code. Right, I just don't. I can read it. I can assimilate it. It's just not what I do. I'm um I'm a solutions guy. So my forte, I suppose, is working working really with companies that used to be had issues, and I'd work at the board level because they'd have someone that said, "Oh, you know, we're being asked to spend two million dollars on this, but we don't know what it means," or you know, our CTO's just left us. What does this mean? And I would essentially go in and de-risk it. So what I would do is take the business, you know, what is business doing? What are your problems? And I can then sit and have a conversation with the technologists and say, what are your issues? And then I, what I would do is find what needed to happen. 
Is it almost like being an excellent CTO? You're kind of the head of technology. Yeah. You solve the company's but problems. But you can talk at a board level. Leveraging the technology you know, yeah. resources of that company, the, the people, the whatever. Yeah. But it's not just the technology as well. It's also looking at the sort of the, the macroeconomic environment that's going out there. So you're doing almost like a full, you know, what, what's your competitors doing? Where do you sit in the marketplace? How business strategy. Absolutely business strategy. Strategy is the best way to put it, to be quite honest. But with a technological slant, as slant if needed. Yeah, so. well, and I guess that's your is your special spice. Yeah, that's something it's you, my geek spice. Yeah, you love the technology side. You'll throw yeah. that in there. So you're actually an excellent business strategist. Yeah, and you have a strength that's technology. Yeah. So you, you'd focus on on that. Uh, yeah, solutions and things like. So really, you know, from from these guys in in Luxembourg, again, I get a phone call from a company in the UK, which is Sky TV over there, and that said, you know, we're we're, now we've got these digital satellites that you help launch. Now we need to understand how to schedule TV across, you know, 14 satellites and 64 channels, and we can only do 16 at the moment. We're putting a team together. Would you be interested? And I went, yeah. So I then came back from Luxembourg, and I did that for a few years um, and built a team around that. So I'm very much, you know, and then had the, the, you know, the great part of TV is you meet some amazing people, and they're all mad as hell, mm. right? The quirky people in TV is like the best industry to work in. I love my time in TV. Really? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'd, I'd rolled it out across, you know, Sky News and VH1 and MTV, History Channel, you know, National Geographic, all of these, Fox Kids and stuff, which was great. And by rolled out, you mean you the rolled pl- out the, the platform? The, the, the yeah. platform so I'd go in, I'd go in and, and I'd be the interface between the business and the play-out platforms. Mm. And, and, of course, the golden rule in TV is that you, you should never have a black screen, right? So you've got to – if you're swapping out technology – you need to make sure it happens because a lot of these TV stations are 24 hours a day, seven mm. days a week, right? So you don't have any downtime. So you're literally going, I'm about to hit a big switch. Is it going to work? And, you know, there's a lot of stress around that, yeah. you know, and and you're sitting up there. I think one of the best ones we had, well, worst actually, was you, you, if you download what needs to be on play out, it needs to go down like eight hours before the, the systems play it out to air. And we and you have a window and we were down to five minutes before like it was going to go off air. And everyone was like, it was four o'clock in the morning. We all consumed a lot of pizza and there's a lot of head scratching. And then suddenly he goes, yeah, I've got it. And you're like, thank Christ for that. Yes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, but it's, you, you just, I don't want to say a yes man because it's got a negative connotation. But if there's a problem, you kind of put your hand, oh, I can fix that. You're, yeah, you're, you I, seem to be the, quite yeah. confident. That I'm yeah. going to fix it. I'm, I've got the confidence. I hate I know people I that telling me I can't do something because I'd go and do it to prove them. Oh, me and you have that in common. I mean, I'm like, oh, I can't do that. That'll be fun. And, and that's the problem. I go, that'll be fun. Yeah. Worst case scenario, what am I going to, I'm going to look like a bit of a dickhead. Yeah. But like if I do it, I'm going to go, yeah, I'm going to look like a I hero. look like a that'd champion. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's incredible. And what do you have, I guess, um, what goes through your head when it comes to, do you have a theory when, in regards to solving something? So, no, no it's just, you believe you can do it. You're going to give it a shot. I walked into, I walked it. So written, you know, yes, I've got a bit of technology, about ask everything's about asking the right questions, right? Is you know, and and I think there's, and I'm in very 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 inquisitive. Like I'm the guy that will if I go for a job interview, and I very rarely go for job interviews I ever have done, but I will I'll be the guy that's gone through all the reports as much as I can find. I go through the accounts, I find out, I'll go through absolutely everything. So I've got everything in front of me. That's just who I am. Yeah, I'll go down the rabbit hole of you know surfing and all. Sorts yeah, of you you know everything. Absolutely. I just want I just want to make sure I've got as much information. The, the reason I ask is because. Like when I have to, what I love about work and owning uh, owning a business and, and and operating and moving forwards is that I can count on myself in order to to solve things. I know that no matter what, you have to back I, yourself. Yes, and I just feel like I can solve it. So it gives you that kind of confidence. 
I'm just trying to see if it's is that the same thing? Is it we I, have that I same think, trait? I think it's the case of you know you feel confident you can get an outcome. You might not be able to supply the outcome personally, but you know people that can help you get. Yeah, the and outcome. you work with and, your uh, absolutely. I, I personally can't do shit, but the team's yeah. pretty good. Well, I, I mean, so, so, <laughs> so you, so, you know, well. I had a so I, I ran a I ran a, a traditional break fix company for a while. So that's companies that that are not big enough to have their own IT teams. Um, and But what I was doing was getting these phone calls from random people going, can you come and help us do this? And, and because I'm like, yeah, I don't want to be beaten, I can do that. I get a random phone call from this guy. There's a buddy of mine I used to go to school with. Um, and he was working for like a Regis, you know, like the mm-hmm. shed. And he said, oh, I've got this American company in here. And they're um, from the, the Valley. They're setting up a, a UK operation. And they've been trying for four months to get the technology working. And no one can get it working. And I went, uh-huh. And, uh, I, and he said, do you reckon you can have a go? And I said, well, yeah, let, put me in touch with the partners. I put me in touch with the partner. He told me what the problem was. And I said, well, I reckon I can fix that. I said, I'll tell you what. I said, it's my wedding anniversary, right? I'll be there in six, you know, in, at six. I said, everyone needs to stay. I said, if I fix it, you pay me double my day rate. If not, I'll walk away, right? So by two o'clock the next morning, I had it up and running because I needed to wait for San Francisco to, to, to up run. And... Um, and basically from there, it turned out they were a large venture capital company called Benchmark Capital. So they're mm. the money behind eBay and Cisco and Palm Park, Palm and, and, and a lot of these companies, a bit, bit of early Uber and bits. Um, and I spent six years then working for them because I think that going back to what you were saying earlier um, or in your podcast, it's, it's like being the most intelligent person in the room you need to find somewhere to go. Everyone in that company are multimillionaires. They've started their own businesses. They've done everything. And I'd reached a pinnacle where I didn't know where to go from there. So I thought, well, I could learn things from this. So I was sitting doing diligence on startups. So company would come and pitch to the partners to raise some money. And what I would do is basically see whether the technology or the company would do what they said it was going to do and help them scale it from there. So I did that for a few years as well. So I've sort of had that hands-on, hands-off bit of you know sitting on the right side of the table wrong side of the table to do um capital raising and um what's always driven me is is that sort of ability to start a business and why people do it and ask those questions and so you were you you, you joined this venture capital firm yeah I, ra- I ran them yeah ran, I, 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 ran, and, I, and, I worked with them for and yeah. and so they're saying hey i want to invest in that fridge company over there yeah can you and you would go in and check to make sure that fridge actually yeah, did absolutely. what they were claiming? Does the light go on when you open exactly the window? Exactly right, yeah, you, and because yeah. that, that's where your due diligence, your your inquisitiveness yeah. comes in, exactly, and, and does all that type of thing, especially to do with technology. Yeah, and so okay, you're in Australia. When does that happen? So I came here. So I, I ran another business for a little while. Um, when I came out of that in brand augmented reality, and then uh, that was going really, really well actually. Um, and then 2008 came, and then it all went tits up. Because obviously the GFC got there, um, and one minute it's got a business, and when you've got two large clients that own you, owe you, you know, the up, the better part of three, four hundred thousand pounds, you're done. Mm-hmm. And at the time, my wife at the time was Australian. I had two young kids, and I literally said, if I'm going to be poor, I'd rather be poor and warm than poor and cold. Mm-hmm. So I put got my credit card. I literally booked four flights. I had six weeks of accommodation booked, and I'm like, I've got to get over there, find somewhere, to, find somewhere for the kids to go to school, find a job, get somewhere to live, and that was it. But there's something beautiful in Start the way again. But yeah, but it's something beautiful in the way your brain just sim- simplified a chaotic situation and just said, hey. If shit's going to be bad. Well, some people I'd call run- it running away. I don't know. I don't I mean, think so. I, I, I mean, there, no, there is that element of starting fresh and starting anew. But I don't think that – was that how you were thinking about it or were you really thinking 
Hey, I'd rather be warm. I, I think, no, it, it was it was two elements to it that um, there was a lot of pain in, in the UK when the GFC hit. Um, and, and I had a lot of friends that were working in the US and I could see what was coming across them. And it took a lot of businesses out. And um, I suppose for me, it was a new opportunity. I, I'm, I've always, you know, I was quite lucky that when I lived in Luxembourg for those 18 months, but I've, but I've also... I worked in Amsterdam for six months. I worked in Brussels for three months. I worked in Paris for two months. So for me to get up and, and go and do something in another country has never been a problem. To take the whole family and go, I don't know what I'm going to do and get, when I get there is a different matter. Yeah, it is. And I, I mean, I experienced that as a child. My, my family moved to Paris, as, yeah. as, as you know, and yeah. even as part of the family, not even in the decision-making mm. part, just the part that has to follow the other ones around. Mm. And um, that, that is a big deal. So what you did, but I think it's one of the best things. It was one of the, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I would imagine it's probably the best thing that's happened oh, to, your, absolutely. to I, your kids I, as I, well. I, I think it's, you know, this is a great country. I don't, now, it's the best you know. country in the world. And can you tell us about your personal pain in, in um, when the GFC happened and, and obviously you lost the business? What, what was that feeling? Um, I wouldn't say despair. It's not, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, Natural. I'm quite an emotional person myself. I, I sort of like I, I invest myself in something that I believe in, and I think you know when you just get these big companies ring you and you've done you've worked your butt off to deliver something, they go, "Yeah, sorry, mate, we can't pay you." Like you you made like a billion million pound yeah. profit last year, you <laughs> bastard. You know, and and then you know then the house goes, and then all the other bits, and you. I suppose there there's an element where I I, I try not to dwell on it. Try not to dwell on it on the time because I want to go forward. I wouldn't even, I would say though that even today, sometimes I wake up, you know, in the middle of the night going, you know, there's a little irksome about it. Mm. Um, in terms of uh, circumstances, uh, yeah. circumstances, I don't dwell on it, but I, I do think about it every now and again. But for me, I suppose I look at it partner as an opportunity and what a great country to bring your kids up in. So my, my kids were like five and seven at the time. So, um, and really what you did was you found the positive shit situation, shit, everything. And somehow your entrepreneurial brain found the positive. Well, you just do what you got to do. Yeah. And, and that's the difference between a winner and a loser. It, shit happens. Mm. There's a lot of bad shit's going to happen to you in mm. your life. Absolutely. To everyone in their life. Mm. And you either find the positive or you don't. Yeah. And you, anyone or can find, there's always a, a positive, people, but you've got to look for that. A lot thing. of people find the negative and they have to hit the bottom and then yeah, they come it's back easier, up the other side. And, but it's easier to find yeah. the negative. Yeah. It's too, it's easier to find. So everyone mm. can find the negative. Do you want to be everyone? Or do you want to be one, the 1% that actually can find that positive? Yeah. And that's what, that's what the difference between someone that keeps progressing and someone who doesn't. Business is basically a bunch of negative shit that happens at a time. Yeah. And if as the leader you're able to find the positive in each negative, mm -hmm. so each time you'll go further and everyone else eventually, it's like it's like doing hurdles. You're running and you jump the first yeah. hurdle, you jump the second hurdle. The further, more hurdles you go, the less people are able to make that amount of hurdles. They get tired and trip over, fall and die and you keep going. You have a bigger business, you have a bigger market share and it's all about finding the positive and having the energy to keep moving forward. I think, and also turning up. I'm a great believer in turning up, right? Mm. My son's an apprentice electrician and I just say, you know, the it, turning up is 80% of success. If you turn up, do what you say, say what you're going to do and do it, then that's you're going to bring it. And that's what it's got about. You've just got to bring it to the table. Giving it a shot. Absolutely. A proper shot. Not absolutely. just not just starting but actually giving it yep, at absolutely. the effort it needed. Mm -hmm. And can you tell me, before, before moving to the next topic, I want to ask, when running a venture capital firm, what were some of those biggest lessons? 
Well, I wasn't running it. I was part of yeah, it. But, so, but so, so I think the interesting, being in it for, I think the interesting thing was, right, we saw some great – I probably sat over that six-year period in maybe, you know, six, seven hundred um, presentations across that time or had or privy to them. And I think the interesting thing is that um, – pitch, Pitches, you mean? Pitch, pitch decks, yeah. Pitch decks yeah. and things, yeah. Um, and getting involved in some of the early-stage companies was, was great and I love startups. Um, but – you know, we'd have some cracking ideas come across and you go, that's brilliant. But the team wasn't great. And then some rubbish ideas would come across, but the team is really good. And I'd sort of say to the senior partners, you know, what's the difference in this? And they said, well, here's the thing. A cohesive team that is driven will build some. This might fail, but we'll get them on the second one. And we'll always back the team. Yes, you could have the bad execution. So one of the things they did really, really well was have people – that helped the companies get to where they needed to get a great bit investing in those companies, not just at a fiscal level or a technology level, but would actually help them mold themselves to become better leaders and better scalers and put them in touch with people. So very much like you do with Cub where you put, you know, all of us together and we get to meet each other and drink, which is fantastic. Um, it, it, what they did was to say, well, here's a portfolio company and they've been on the same journey as you, so go and learn from them. So ultimately, there were, there were companies that used to take money but didn't need the money. They just wanted the network, mm. which is really interesting. No, they, it's they, a great, I mean, amazing They're company. smart people. They know that the network's more important because, I mean, I, was t I had this conversation with someone the other day. It is so easy to raise capital. Yeah. It is so easy. The amount well, of, are, but yeah. uh, in this country... In America, in the States, maybe not in Mongolia, but in most in most first world countries, it's easy to raise capital. I've seen some of the dumbest companies <laughs> I've ever seen run by some of the dumbest people I've ever seen yeah. raise capital, raise raise capital at an evaluation that made no sense and was just brought out of thin air. But they've raised capital because there's a lot of people who don't know what they're doing investing as well. Mm. It's money's easy to get. It's the network that is hard to get. An execution. Ex Execution comes after anyway, mm. but having a good network is going to help you execute better yeah. anyway. Money is not. Mm. Money is going to help you execute poorly. I actually think one of the things that hindered Cub at the start was that um, was that uh, I, you had too much I money? started with more money. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it hindered me. It's because, interesting, isn't it? Yeah, because I wasn't as um, smart with the money. As simple as that. I, I and because Cub generated Cub was cash positive very quickly because mm. we always sold very fast. Mm. Um, and so because we were able to do that. We never had – we were never tight enough with the money. We were never specific enough with the model. We will never – and that only really happened two years ago. It started happening and then COVID really yeah. formed. But the other, the other side of it is you say you can raise – yes, you can raise money, right? But the problem that you have with a lot of people that raise money at the moment is they get these either ridiculous foundations. Everyone goes, oh, I'm going to do a startup. I'm going to raise money. But they get diluted. By the time they've done, you know, seed fund and seed round and an they angel don't even round, own the company and anymore. you go, well, you're going to get to the end of this journey and earn five percent. Yeah. That's crap. Yeah. You know, if you're putting your, you know, your family's future or your future on this, you've got to have some outcome at the end of it. So you've got to learn to, as you say, if you do the hard yards and the bootstrap, you'll value it more as opposed to spending all your time building pitch decks. Just, just start it. Just do it. And and just starting starting is the most important mm, thing. Absolutely. And, and what about um, and that's not even just starting the company. That is just even if you have the company and you, for example, Cub next year, mm. we are starting Brisbane. That right. is happening. 
and regardless of whether we're regardless ready or not, whether anyone can go out or not, whatever the fuck is going on, <laughs> we are starting Brisbane, and we know that. And the fact that we started is going to force us to do it and to Absolutely. pull through. Yeah. Now we are ready for it, but that's not the point. The point was it's in the plan next year, and we're doing that regardless. Absolutely. And we're going to. And so you can even think about it with an existing mm. company. If you've got something you need to do, just start. And I think the other side of it, though, you know, you can get what was it was the expression, you know, paralysis for by analysis. You know, you get a lot of companies go, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, and they spend so long talking about Planning. it, or writing it, and planning it, and you're like, just get it done. Yeah, that's not our problem. Right? You, you know, that problem. at the end of the day, there's so much I, I see around where people just, you know, it takes too long to do this. World moves really fast. Who'd have thought a year ago? that you wouldn't be allowed your houses, you wouldn't be allowed to fly, you wouldn't be allowed to do this. So these guys that go and these companies that say, oh, it's going to take us 18 months to do that. I mean, they're saying, if you look up, look upon the remote working, it used to take, uh, you know, years to build a remote working plan and they had to pick it up and do it in three weeks. It's, it's ridiculous, yeah. right? So that shows you what can be done if you turn it on. It's an example. Anything can be done. Absolutely. As long as you give it the right effort. Mm. Uh, with no excuses, it has to be done. Mm. And, and and when you so you've listened to hundreds of pitches uh, for for capital mm. raising, what were some of the things that companies with good pitches was would do, as opposed to companies with bad? They kept it simple. They could they could talk about the product. They could talk about who's going to use it, why they would use it, and what eventual cash flow looked like, and what they needed. You know, you can go through all the market you know, dynamics and the size of the market and, you know, 70-page PowerPoints. They never look at that. Realistically, what do you do? Why are you doing it? Who's going to use it? How are you going to monetize it? How can we help you? And at the end of the day, if you can be really, really succinct about it, it's like anything. Like, I mean, I, 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 I've got the attention span of a flea, but, you know, I, I'm a great believer <laughs> in if you can't communicate to me on one page, you know, give me a single page on something or just put it on a whiteboard because I'm a visual person, then what's the point? It's too complicated. And, and people get simplicity. Oh, I, I fully agree. Everything is simple, mm. simpler, the better. Mm. Um, and so XREF, I want to yeah. get to that because you're yeah. in Australia. You got here 2008. Yeah. You started XREF 2010. in 10. Yeah. So you started 2000. So two years after this. Yeah. Thing. No. So, so, what, so why did you start? How did that happen? Right. So when I landed, didn't have a job. Um, so I thought, well, we've got a wife and two children, so I better go and get a proper job. So I landed a job working with um, a courier company. Again, never worked in couriers, knew nothing about transport, um, knew a bit about the tech, and um, they were running through some some issues. So I spent two years helping them. Basically, I did an office move. I did a complete rebuild of their platform. I rebuilt all of the, the um, devices for the courier fleet, launched, helped them launch another new part of the business. Um, and then from that... I then went and I, I thought, well, I've done my two years. Everyone's getting a bit settled now. And I went back to doing what I was doing. So, Well, your, your, uh, your current business partner now was working at a large recruitment correct, firm. Correct, correct. So when I came here in 2008, as I said, I got, I got a proper job for a couple of years. Mm. Um, and then at the end of that uh, period of time, we would meet every month and he'd ring me and say, you know, I've got a company that wants this type of skills. Uh, and I'd sort of give him ideas on what to say uh, or to, questions to ask in ring back go the, okay I said okay you know that's a skill set you need and they, were they technology they roles? were sort of technology roles sort of you. CTO CIO sort mm -hmm. of board level roles mm -hmm. um and and eventually when I was ready to leave he said well you know I, I think there's I, I'm gonna get you a job and I said well okay um I said oh, I'm gonna do my own thing anyway so he'd 
ring me and say, there's a company here, they need this, this and this. And I go, well, I don't really understand that. Why don't I go and talk with the board and or the, or the management team? So I'd sit with the management team. I'd map out what they needed. I'd go back to Lee and say, right, you know, they need this skill set. And invariably, I probably don't have that skill set, but let's find someone that does. So I sort of became that BD for him. Mm-hmm. So I'd go in and say, they need a CTO, but actually they needed these type of skill sets. And I put them in and I might manage them over like one day a week or something like that. So we used to meet every every month. And um, one of the months he, you know, comes out and, and meets us and he was a bit ranty. And I said, well, what's going on with you? And he said, well, you know, the guy working for me and, uh, he placed a candidate in with a large Australian company and ultimately it turns out that the candidate he placed there had falsified his references. So had never done what he said he was going to do. And, and he just put his uh, mate's phone number or his friend's number. No, it was even wor- was worse than that because um, essentially the recruiter had completely made it up, hadn't even contacted the references. So he'd made it up and then put them in front of it. So he'd spent his morning recovering the account and then obviously, you know, the guy then exits stage left. And then, so we had, we had a, you know, customary lunch. Wait, so the recruiter that was trying to place. Had placed. Had placed. A, year, a month Made before. up the references. Correct. So not the person that wanted the job, the actual person yes. that worked at the recruitment yes. firm. Yes, yes. Oh, that's a big deal. It is a big deal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he'd rescued the account. I can understand and, falsifying your own CV. If it's yeah, exactly. Giving your mate down the pub. It's like, hello. <laughs> yeah. So, so and, and, then, and then what happened was I said, well, you know, let's work this out. And he was sitting there. I said, well, it's probably not a cup of coffee time. Let's have a glass of wine. So we had a glass of wine and sat there and, I suppose a glass of wine left to a bottle of wine and, and then we just talked through it. And I said, well, you know, we could probably do this in a way of technology. And he said, well, you know, we could do it like this. And I went, well, why don't we, um, and we talked through it. So we did a bottle of wine. I think we did two bottles of wine actually. It was quite a long lunch. And I still have the bit of paper. We mapped out what we were going to do. Um, and I said, well, fuck it. Let's just do it. It'll be fun. What's the worst that can happen? And that's literally the conversation we had at the end of 2010. Let's and just start. Let's just start. And that's what we did. And I said, look, I know that, you know, we said, well, how are we going to develop it? So don't worry about that. I know some guys in Ukraine that can do some development for us and you do the design and I'll do the, the backend systems and I'll bankroll it. And, and that's what we did. So essentially we, we spent a year building the platform out um, and then testing it with some, some clients or potential clients. And, um, you know, we, we did, I remember we did a great one. We, we, we rented, you know, the Oaks in neutral yeah. Bay. So at the top there, they've Beautiful got like pub. a yeah, great pub. Um, they've got an, an open area and we invited some friendlies in to look at our new platform. Uh, I think we invented, invited like four or five companies and they absolutely destroyed it. Literally said it's what, how shit it is. It doesn't do this. It doesn't do that. So we went back to the drawing board and did it again, you know, and, and again, it boils back to, you just got to keep going, got to yeah. keep moving forward. Yeah. So, it took us 18 months to get our first product out there. And we were both still doing, you know, we were still working for our respective companies that, well, he was working for his company and I was doing these sort of small uh, jobs and, on the side. And so you got the idea to to build XREF mm. because of that issue that happened Absolutely. to Lee. Again, the best things, the best startups and the best companies come, from, sol- a problem. come from a problem, solving a problem. Yeah. And who'd have thought it was a problem, right? Well, it was a problem for Lee. It was it's a life problem. Yeah. And Lee, luckily he had you, yeah. helped him find the positive. Absolutely. And then look at you now. And and so just because I don't know if we've spoken so much about what XREF actually does, but it actually it, it, it would you want to describe it? Wait, yeah, so I so had, I had a great thing written down. I want to read this because I knew it, but it said it better here. It, oh, uh, you, X, I can't say it. It's 
No, but I want to do it. Okay. Xref is a globally re- <laughs> it's easy for you to say. Yeah, reference checking software. <laughs> That's what it is. It's so a reference checking yeah, software. So it's pre-employment referencing. <laughs> so when you go and get a job and you change your job, typically someone will pick the phone up, like and it traditionally pick the phone up and ring one of your ex-employees to, to say, you know, did they do the job? Were they any good? You know, were they a total knob or, you know, things like that. And, and invariably what happened is like, you know, Bob would give his mates Johnny's down the pub and you never know who it is because mm. everyone lives on a mobile phone, right? So there's no, there's no governance, there's no security, you know, you don't know what you're going to be saying, you know. So, so ultimately what we've done is we've built a cloud-based platform that is used, I mean, we're the number one in APAC, I'd like to say the world, I will say the world in, in what we do. Um, that is a auto, fully automated pre-employment referencing platform. So essentially you put your candidate details in there, the, there's a range of questions that can be tailored for you. Um, it will then go to the candidate. Candidate will enter the details for the referees. The referees will follow the process. And we've got a big fraud algorithm that sits over the top of it to tell us, you know, whether whether it's been trying to be um, gamed um, yep. and um, and uh, a range of stats that sits over the top of it to look at sentiment and uh, uh, and uh, level of usage and um, work out. So, so that's two very important points. One is the it, it can figure out if their references, if they falsify the references. Yeah, because it's all based upon. Um, so, of the millions of transactions that've gone through the platform over the years, um, we know what a typical example looks like that runs through the platform. So, we have a, an algorithm that looks at sort of those external points if it's outside of boundaries. Plus, we do things like you know where was it opened, what browser was it open, what device was it open. What was it what was a mobile number and it catches you know, the outliers absolutely and that, that's what you're trying to do so our job is not to catch our our job is to, to find highly referenceable people if you've gained it what we do is we don't go don't do we just go we we have reason to believe and they will we'll give them the facts to and do that the other important thing that you said is that it actually analyzes the answers given by the yeah, absolutely, references. Yeah. so it because for example if an ex-staff member wants you to be a reference, you're probably not going to say no. Mm. You're not going to say they're bad, um, but you also want to be honest to the other business. So you're going to kind of tailor your answer into maybe saying what they're good at or what they, you know, you'd probably be quite delicate and your system actually will pick that, it, yeah, pick that it bullshit a, up be like, nah, that's not a good it answer. It rates it on a positive, neutral or negative basis. But but you say they don't want to go reference. We've got a big, the first big button you get is decline. Because the interesting thing is because it's a formalized process, people are more inclined to decline. Because they don't want to say anything that, that, that they don't want to say, right? Whereas, so ultimately though, that that also has part of the algorithm as well because they get the opportunity to swap it out. So it's, it's quite, you know, people look at it and go, oh yeah, it's quite simple. No, it isn't. There's a lot of, there's a AI lot of logic in the, back in the background. End. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, and what's the business model? So how does it work? So the business model is, um, the business model is, is uh, essentially the number of candidates that you're going to be recruiting per year. So, you know, if you look at our, our first customer, funnily enough, was Fuji Xerox. Mm-hmm. You know, we built a we built a platform for a, the small end of the market, and I accidentally sold it to Fuji Xerox. I'm like, oh my god, we got delivered to Fuji Xerox, right? And then our second customer was Westpac, right? Which Lee accidentally sold to Westpac, and the third customer was Foxtel, and the fourth customer was C. You know, so so we've ended up in this enterprise level, and and what happens is we built it initially for a subscription model, but ultimately when you're a large enterprise they get a budget they need to spend that budget so mm. we base it around the level of recruiting they're doing on an annualized basis and we they purchase credits from us so uh, a so they might say hey we have 300 jobs we want to be recruiting this year you might say okay that is x uh, yeah 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 
And then we get used in a lot of outsourcing as well. So, you know, but we get, it's a global, it's a global platform. Mm. So. Well, I, I read that Buckingham Palace uses it. That's yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Are you watching, have you watched The Crown on Netflix? Oh, don't get me started on that. My partner is. I love The Crown. Yeah. I, the, fourth, the trouble is where it is at the moment. I live through out. some of this and I'm looking at it going, really? So, you know. <laughs> I'm watching Diana. Yeah, Nick's at Diana. Yeah. Like, I remember that, you know. <laughs> but, and. And has there ever been a point where the company has – because you you, you mentioned um, that you bootstrapped for the first five Absolutely, years. Absolutely, yeah. The first five years we bootstrapped. So, you know, we were plowing our own money into it, to, you know, up to the first six employees. Um, you know, the whole platform was originally built. I, you know, I would do – go and do a few – because at this point I was consulting with various companies and, I, you know, you plow some of that money into the – into the platform, some of it I lived on. And then in the evenings I was building, you know, platforms and things and making sure that the coders were doing what they were doing. Um, yeah, so for the first five years we we bootstrapped it. But we were profitable probably within the first you know, three years. So the last two years was really building out the scale. So we, you know, we, we put salespeople on and we brought um, you know, support, customer success on at that point. Um, but, then, but then it's quite funny, but then what happens is that, the nature of the platform means that a referee can be anywhere in the world, right? So if you're referencing someone at Westpac, their re- their referee could be at Citibank in New York or Barclays in the UK. And all of a sudden we started getting these phone calls from or emails saying, can we use the platform in the UK? And can we use the platform in Canada? And we're like, oh, yeah, we could do that. Can we use it in New Zealand? So we ended up building a, you know, a... New Zealand version and then we built you know we put some Z's in it for the US and things like that and um and uh but the problem there is that you end up with an opportunity but the level of opportunity in front of you outweighs your cash flow so you have to look at funding mechanisms right which is the, and that's you know, why you listed uh, exactly is yeah so so what what happened was it's quite interesting because because we were a profitable Australian company and we were we were doing a fair bit of revenue at that point but we knew we needed to go global Right? We knew we wanted to go global. And if you go around um, angel funding, right, you might find one high net worth individual that put an amount of money into it, but it doesn't scale, right? Because ultimately they'll put some money in, the valuation is this, and you'll still need to go and raise money to, to get to the next stage. Secondly, when you go to the VCs, a lot of the value in the VCs, if you're not taking the money, is their network. Well, we had you know, AMP and Westpac and New South Wales government and, you know, Foxtel and, you know, a lot of, we were in the top end of the market there. So we had a good network. So we didn't sort of need connections. We needed capital, but we also knew that we would need to go globally. And we had, because we were sitting at the enterprise level and my background is big enterprise. We wanted to do things like enterprise level security, logins, business reports, things like this. So I'd worked in one of the companies over here, I'd raised some capital through an ASX listing um, because they wanted to buy a company and they were already public. So I raised some $3 million by a roadshow and, and pulling some cash in for them to do that. And I and I happened to know some brokers and I said, well, there is another way of doing this. Um, and it gives us a, 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 a scaling funding mechanism. But secondly, it forces you to grow up because you're a public company everything's open world, right? Like you can, you can look at our accounts and you know that the insurances are in place. You know that there's director of insurance. You know the fact that, you know, there's, there's fun, there is capital there. It's not just a couple of guys that have got a server in a, you know, in a, in a, in a garage somewhere, right? It's a proper company with the governance itself at the top of it, which is, which was important for us as we began to scale. 
Well, uh, what I love what you said is you looked at all the different options and the values each of them give. You didn't need the private investors because you're already profitable. You didn't need the cash to get profitable. You already were yes, that. Yeah. So the private investors you didn't need. You didn't need the the VCs because you weren't looking for a network. And also we were too we were too far advanced for them because because what they wanted to do what they like doing is taking money in the early stage companies yeah. so they can take a bigger chunk right hundred percent and then you looked at the at listing the company and not only would that give you the amount of money you needed to scale but it also gives you that social proof that legitimacy where these big you companies have to grow up yeah and but it's that legitimacy if I'm a big company and I'm dealing with a a publicly listed company I'm going to feel more confident dealing mm. with you than I am a private company yeah. unless that private company has been owned for a hundred years and you know, it's that type of company. Yeah. And you chose the one that was best suited to you. And I yeah. think that's, a, that's, it just depends what's best suited. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it was, it, it was a, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a five minute choice. I mean, it was, a, a, of course a, not, a year but of that something. was the choice. Yeah, and, and the other thing I wanted to highlight was that you, that just do it, problem solve, find the positive attitude that you keep talking about that literally just ran through the company from, from the very start. For example, the first model sucked, your client said. The yeah. eight, you know, when you first showed it at the, yeah, at the Oaks, yeah. they didn't like it. No. You used that to your advantage. You changed it. You thought it was going to be a subscription-based business model. Yeah. It wasn't. It, it ended up being a buying credit. It yeah. ended up being basically – The funny thing is the subscription model is coming around again now, you see, because things things are changing in the world, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you're finding that yeah. now too. And you thought there were going to be smaller companies. You've got bigger companies. Then you realised your marketing – was actually the people being your references. Yeah. So you found this new marketing the thing best, and you're like, best, oh, wow, that's great. Let's go down that. The best marketing of the platform is the platform itself. That, because, that's my Because point. what happens is it, it goes out to a it's reference and they, and, and they can go, this is great. This yeah, is so easy. Great. I want to use this. Exactly. It, it's incredible. It's mm. really cool. And you just kept following the river down to the ocean. You just kept following the stream. And, yeah. and, and sometimes you have to just go with the flow rather mm. than try to – Try to dig out a new, dig out a new. Yeah, river you don't want to be the salmon going up the top to die. To be quite honest, I'd no, rather surf down. Get, yeah, I want to get on a boogie board and just float down the river. Um, and that, 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 that that's totally awesome. And what are some of your um, biggest lessons when it comes to um, being or listing, being a publicly listed company? I, I think it's quite interesting because we did a we did a reverse listing, right? So we didn't do a front door listing. So explain, so, explain. So the, the front difference. door listing is where you actually um, list an, list a non listed company. Yeah. So uh, so so it's a non listed company, but you basically go on a front door listing, which means you 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 go out and find investors and you produce a prospectus and you essentially become a brand new company going onto the ASX. What we did was we reversed into an existing public company. So there was an existing public company out there called King Solomon's Mines. It had a bit of cash in it, a few million dollars. Um, they were a mining company that had raised, you know, millions, hundreds of, not hundreds, but a fair few millions of dollars for a potential gold mine in Inner Mongolia. So essentially they'd raised a load of money, they drilled some holes, and then about five years later they've gone, ha, actually there's no gold there. So it sits on the market as a shell, allegedly a, a clean shell, um, with some cash in it that ticks over. And what they do is they look for the next investment. So it, it's ebbs and flow. So gold's up at the moment. So you've got technology companies turning into gold mines and gold mines in technology. So yeah. we reversed into this te into this um, King Solomon's Mines. You basically reverse into it and then you rename the company as you. So that's what we did. The only problem with it is obviously it's a, it's slightly, you have to clear all of the other stuff out. So once we listed we ended up owning, you know, a gold mine in in a Mongolia, and I had to get all of the drill holes capped with one meter 
square um, concrete and then pay the guys to make sure there was no you know, diggers left there. And then, then I had to sell the tenement back to the Chinese government for a dollar. Um, and then um, I'm going to write a book about this, I'll tell you. It's, yeah. it's quite an interesting process. And then it turns out that the company actually was listed, it was a New Zealand company that was listed on Australian ASX. So then we had to de-register the New Zealand company, bring it's it over to Australia. Australia. Um, and then as soon as they did that, there was a whole big question about had they paid the right tax. So we had to drop, you know, you know, mop wow. all of that up. But you know what? Six months, it was all mopped up and you just do it. But it's part of it's part of the learning experience. And, and, and it was learned. good for yeah, you. At the end of the day, say. you just got to look at it and, it and it's that you've got to do it. So like, what, there is no option. Yeah. You just got to do it, right? Because so you can't continue to own a, a land in Inner Mongolia. And, and what are the pros and cons towards doing a backdoor listing. Obviously, some of the pros are it's meant to be quicker. quicker. Yes. Yeah, but, and the cons are you don't know what the fuck's going on with Absolutely. that company in the yeah, past. Cause, <laughs> because, you you know, you, you go, they go, yeah, it's a, of course it's a clean company. So it's There's a higher risk, no but problems. simpler. So it's an easier, it's easier to do higher risk. Yeah, it's it's easier to do. It's meant to be quicker. Um, it was quick, um, and it will, and there's cash in there. So theoretically, it's meant and to cheaper. be more, meant to be cheaper. Yeah, but by the time everyone's you know taking a six percent out of it as they go through, you know, it, it is same. what it is at the end of the day. Hey, but you know what? Um, it's a learning experience. It was good fun. Would I do it again? Absolutely. Has it been the best thing that we did with the company? Absolutely. That's rare. See, I, I always think that's rare. Whenever I, I've spoken to lots of business business owners, and they're all uh, many of them will say. Nah, never doing the public thing again. I want to go back. Or no, no, I, I don't enjoy it. Like, yeah, and, and so why? Maybe, why? I don't know, maybe I'm why do you like or something. It? I don't no, know. No, I, I really swear. Most I, people say no. I, I think, you know, there's a governance. I, you know, I, I, I like the fact that there's a governance level that sits over the top of it. I like the fact that, you know, yes, we have a range of shareholders, right? And we've got quite a few um, institutions that are invested in us. I've still got 20% of the company. So, you know, I've, I've maintained my... A good equity, share. equity share. Um, it's, you know, it's it, the regulatory element is is there. And I, and I just think it's a nice way to run a business. But ultimately, would I do it again? Absolutely. We, we look at it and say that the governance and the risk levels are completely contained. And ultimately, what I want to always do is do the right thing, right? So, you know, we've got an internal legal counsel. We, we do everything by the book absolutely everything by the book which is really really important right and we have investors you know we've got some quite large institutional investors that are backing us on the on the journey and it's about the journey and you know it has its ups and downs but i'm thoroughly enjoying it because i'm learning a lot right what are the negatives um the governance mm -hmm. uh the lawyers um the institutional investors additional um, expenses yeah expenses it's yeah, more expensive yeah, it's, it's, we reckon it adds three 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 to five hundred k a year onto the running of the oh, business that's not too bad though it's not huge right. no and we're only a micro cap at the end of the day we're not you know um but ultimately um it's something that i'd never done so i'm enjoying the journey mm -hmm. and um so for me to say i'd do it again absolutely because i think the interesting thing is I've learned because my inquisitive nature, I've learned a lot about capital raising, ASX, governance, you know, all of that sort of thing. And I'll tell you what, mate, there's there's a bit for there's a bit for um disruption around some of that as well. It's very well, old school. Well, one thing I wanted to also say was your inquisitive nature would have served you well in a public company because you need to know that every detail is in order mm. and up correctly. And mm. a lot of business owners aren't 
they, they don't focus on the little things either. They're, yeah. they're more like, oh, well, you going. can't not do it in a public company exactly. because if you get it wrong, someone will come and knock on the door and you might and get let away and hang And your brain, you, but your brain style served it well for yeah. that. Plus, for the business, it was excellent because it was it served your your clients that you're bringing on perfectly. Yeah, it gave them that confidence. And what would you say the difference? So you've you've run listed companies, you've run uh, bootstrap or startup. Mm-hmm. What's the real big differences between the two? Um. I don't think there's uh, couldn't even compare. Maybe <laughs> no, you can. I think I think the element is um, with a startup, or even when you're beginning to list, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of unknowns, and it's just rolling your sleeves up, getting involved. You know, we're now ten years into this journey. Um, I've got a great business, great team. And ultimately the idea now is not to fiddle with it. Me personally, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm great. Like I am like, oh, I've had a great idea. And they're like, no, 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 Right. Because we need to do this, isn't it? Yeah, well, now you've got so something to lose. Uh, abs- well, no, it's not, no, it's not even about losing. Like I've lost it all before. Like, you know, I'm not worried <laughs> about that. Like what's the worst that can happen, right? But but ultimately, you know, we've got a lot of big customers that use us globally. As I said, you know, that capital's allowed us to scale across to five countries. We've got 14 languages, got 21 integrations. You know, you can, if you want it in Canadian French, you want it in German, you can get it all, you know, it, it works brilliantly across the world. Um, and we bought another company that I tucked into last year that does sort of identity verification or KYC. So, when you go through identity verification, it takes a photo and checks whether, you know, your, your photo matches and takes your driving license details mm. and passport and checks it against the databases. So we're tucking that into the portfolio as well. So there's always something to do. Um, but ultimately, it's about staying relevant, right? So startups are great and scale-ups are great because ultimately all of them will reach a plateau and it's what you do at that plateau and how you you move from there. But just back to the um, it's something to lose thing, because mm. I, I kind of disagree maybe for you, you know, you're not scared of starting from nothing. Mm-hmm. But when you're in your position currently, you've oh, got yes. over yeah, 100 yeah. people. Yeah. You're now dealing with 100 people and their families. Yeah. And that is that, – that must come into your mind. No, absolutely. absolutely. So I need to be safer now I t- I than when it was just a, me and Lee. Yeah, no, I took that from a personal perspective. Yes, right? yes, yes. So, so, yeah, I was clarifying. But, but, but I, th- I think – so for me, I'd, you know, work with a startup over there, but ultimately I wouldn't go and meddle – you know, because, uh, you know, at the end of the day... You wouldn't fuck with the mothership. Mothership mm-hmm. has to stay. I, I think what you need to do is understand that you've got, like, your, your little pinky on the controls, but other people do. Like, you have great people in the business. They might they might put a placebo control. You might think you're in control, but people actually know what they're doing are behind you. So yeah. I'm an ideals person and a strategy. But ultimately, you know, again, it boils down to trust the people in your business to do, you know, great things. And on that topic of strategy, how do you look at... How do you look at a market? How do you look at – or do you sit down and say, what's our strategy over the next five to ten years? And, and, and do you have a process towards that? Yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting. I think it's – Take time to think about it because it wasn't something that we It's were. very hands-on, right? So in other words, you know, we, we, we pull a lot of data to have a look at market, you know, what's happening in certain markets. I mean, right now, right, we're, we're in referencing, right? That's people getting employed. The world is mad. Um, right now, especially in your space. Absolutely. Yeah. But we're doing well, right? It's not by any means where it was, but we're doing well. But what we're gearing up for is what happens in February. You know, you've got the new incoming, whoever it is, president in the US, you know, we'll be out of, you know, after Australia Day, we'll, we'll, we'll be on our, you know, from the 27th mm-hmm. upwards. Um, hopefully the UK is, you know, back out from where it is. And, um, you know, we're gearing up for that. And and at the moment, we're our usage is 
pre-COVID levels. Um, but we can see a lot of companies are having a look at what they're doing. They're gearing up. They know it's going to we're going to get return. there. So it's going to return, you know. At the end of the day, what we need to do is to make sure we're ready for it because I, I do believe it will be a big inflection point. And that's what you've used this time for? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we're looking at, you know, we've been building new product into the platform and we've got some new things coming out. So is that how you'd say, has COVID benefited your business? Um, yes. No, no. What's a positive that's come from it? Got closer to some of the businesses, I think. Um, got closer to the employees. Worked out that we can work remote. I think that's very interesting. Um, and uh, really just take a take a look at what we're doing because it gives you a little bit of a chance just to slow down mm. and just say, right, what do we need to move forward and, and are we doing the right thing? I've, I've had – that's a relatively common answer yeah. heard from many, that I hear from many business people. And, and just back on the topic of strategy, I've asked a lot of people that question. It's actually a hard question it is. To, to answer. And, Thank you and, for that. Uh, yeah, no problem. I'm <laughs> that's all you need to do. But one thing that – that uh, I've kind of accumulated through through a lot of people's answers of it is that uh, it, Paul Hotz, who you know, yeah. who's a member of ours yeah, and has a brilliant guy. episode yeah. if, in, if anyone wants to hear it. It's I don't know what number it is, but Paul Hotz, brilliant episode, is um, about pinpointing what it is you do. Mm. If finding it because when you really focus and pinpoint on exactly what it is you do. Yeah. You you look at the market in order to choose that. Absolutely. So you choose something that's different, that's that's kind of yours, and then you hammer that. But home. I, but I think it's not about taking everything because everyone says let's launch in the US, let's launch in the US, right? But what they don't realize the US is fifty two different countries, right? And if you say let's say you went to Texas, right? There's twenty five million people in Texas, right? It's got the largest healthcare. We're very strong in healthcare. So if you went to Texas, looked at healthcare, said we're going to do that, start there, right? Mm. Because ultimately it's it's a pinpoint of what you can do and. If you get it wrong, what's, what's going to happen? But hammer that. So find Absolutely. that pinpoint, whether it be your your purpose, your service, your where you're doing it. It mm. doesn't matter, but pinpoint it. Because mm. when you pinpoint, you actually have a point of difference because you put your pin where there's no other pin stuck in the table. Yeah. And so you find that point. Then you hammer that thing home. You hammer that. You just go to town on that pinpoint. You use that for your marketing. You use that for your where you're offering the service. You, 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 you saturate that. And then do you expand? And expansion may be... Um, you see that with startups at the end of the day, you know, they come in, you know, and, and I work with a few startups, it, you know, it, it's the passion and drive behind it. And they, they, they want to make a difference and they want to do, and you just got to go, you get behind it and energy. And I, you know, at the end of the day, it's back yourself and, and the energy's behind it and just go for it, mm. you know, because ultimately if you don't, you're never going to know. You don't want to be sitting on 100%. this. You don't want to be sitting in your rocking chair going, oh, what happened if I'd done that? That would be rubbish. Mm. You just got to go for it. Yeah. And and knowing where you're going, having that pin in the yeah. on the map Absolutely. gives you gives you that focus. But, but also if the pin, if you start with a pin and that's your pin and suddenly realize it needs to be somewhere else, have the balls to go, actually, I got it wrong. I need to do that. hundred percent. Because you got to understand so long, it's not finite. So long as that your instead of the pin, let's use the nail. Because then so long as your hammer hits exactly. the new position, exactly. not the old, you, go in with you a still hammer. hammer that thing. Yeah, <laughs> that worked out well for yeah. us. Um, yeah, so that, put your nail in the thing, choose where your nail goes, hammer that thing home, and then you can expand. Yeah. Right? Then you can add additional revenue stream services, right. uh, different uh, regions and areas and, and, and all that type of thing. So there's something I – I think Paul ta ta told me that. But anyway, we have to wrap up soon because Laura keeps twirling her fingers at me. I Just before we did, I wanted to ask you your um, idea of leadership. Any theories you have behind leadership? My ultimate theory behind leadership is that um, we have a – 
sort of, I suppose there's that no dickhead rule that, that's always there. You know, ultimately, um, find I always find great people and I trust them to do what they want to do and engage with them at a human level. I think there's a lot of companies that recruit people and just throw them in the corner and say, get on with it. What do you mean by human level? So, I, you know, for the first, the interesting thing is for the first six employees within XREF, we, it, you know, we interviewed them, took them out, a few, few drinks in them, um, you know, understood what other way they ticked. All those six people are still with us today. In fact, the first 10 are all still with the company. So there's that humility element. It's just an understanding that they're, they're humans, but also listening to what, again, listening to what they've got to say because everyone has a different background, right? So, you know, m my, you know, young CS uh, intern has as much value in the business as, you know, Lee and myself because they deal with the customers day in, day out. Um, and I'm a great believer in allowing people just to get on with it, but understanding that people make mistakes um, and hire great people. And I, I'm, 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 I would always hire on passion than qualifications. You can come to me with, you know, the best degree in the world, but if you're a knobhead and you don't add value, then, you know, there's no point even I actually, discussion. I couldn't agree more on absolutely every single point. You I, have, I have, a you know, I we've have a, we've learned that lesson. I have a we've written, we have lessons. a thing called extreme value. Mm -hmm. We, you know, ultimately deliver extreme value, yeah. you know, and no, no one can say anything foolish. Yeah. Well, I'll tell them if it's foolish, but you know, that's the way it goes. Yeah, that's good. You yeah, should. absolutely. It's good and you, one thing, the, uh, the boys that own Hawks Brewery, uh, Hawks Brewing, uh, the cup members, like yeah. Nate and David. Yeah. They, they've done a podcast episode too. Yeah. One thing they said in their hiring policy is, would we want to have a beer with this person? And that's one well, that's thing, what we that's did what for the yeah, first. I know, for that's the first why I say, that's basically, why I say, yeah, that's why I you know, saying again, it. if you can get drunk with them, you go, yeah, that's all right. And, oh, and in that. fact, to be quite honest, when we when we looked at a couple of other companies in the past of potential purchases, we went, we're not going to have a discussion until we've been out for dinner. Mm. It's just not happening because ultimately, if we're going to work together and we're going to, you know invest in your company by pulling it into the portfolio, then we got to make sure that we can do business together. Well, it, what it does is it shows you the importance of cultural fit. Because that's really what you're absolutely. checking. It's not that, absolutely. hey, I have to have a dinner with you. It's, hey, are we culturally aligned? Yeah. Do we share values mm. and morals and do we share passions? And, you know, we may differ in opinions, that's fine. Mm. But do we share uh, values? Mm. That That's really absolutely. what you're trying to align. Absolutely, yeah. And, and, and – but people always have different values and you only respect their values, right? Different value sets. But ultimately mm -hmm. I think there has to be a, a common thread that runs across it. Yeah, there has mm. to be common yeah. values. I, I really believe that. Um, cool. That was a fantastic conversation. That was enjoyable. Yeah, that was mad. Let's um, let's wrap up. Why don't we uh, – I want to do two things before we do. I want to hear your greatest lesson in business. So if you could teach your kids one oh thing, God. one thing you could tell them, there's one thing, one piece of advice you could give them in business and um, what that would be. Um, and the second thing I want to do is make sure that everyone knows how to reach out to you uh, or contact you mm. or, um, or, or, or XREF. So if anyone yeah, wants sure. to use XREF, how, how they can find you. So the lessons, you know, I think about it is, is just give it a go. That's mm. it. It's, it's just keep going. At the end of the day, you know, I think one of the, the things that happens is I failed in businesses, right? I, an, you know, I haven't had an easy string. You know, I left school at 16 did some stuff that didn't really work out, did some other stuff that didn't really work out, had a couple of good businesses. They ultimately failed due to, you know, one for the internal reason, one for the external reason. But ultimately you keep going and and always keep your knowledge up, be inquisitive. I think these people that go, 
I've done an accountancy degree will so only ever be an accountant. That's okay if you love, but if you get to the point and, and you don't love it, then don't love it and do something else, mm. you know? Um, and I think that's important. So my, my, so my, my son, he's like, he's just turned 18. He left in year 10 and he came to me and he said, dad, I don't really want to go and do an HSC and I don't want to go to college. I want to become an apprentice electrician. I went, brilliant, go do that. Whereas I was, I'm fully supportive of that because at the end of the day, it's a trade and that's what he wants to do. And he's passionate about doing that. But ultimately, you know, I think there was some, you know, some friends around there said, well, you know, she's going to do an HSC. She's going to do that. Why? Why? Follow mm. your passion and, and ultimately don't be, just don't be scared. Just do it. Well, I love that. And that's probably the most important lesson everyone could hear now. It's just, just say yes. Just keep going. Just, absolutely. Just keep jumping those just hurdles. Keep, keep, absolutely. keep going down that river. Keep swinging mm. that hammer. Exactly. <laughs> no, that's probably the best yeah. lesson. That's the best what lesson. What was the other question? Ever. I can't remember. What was, what was it? the other question? Oh, yeah. It was how can everyone reach out to you? So where, uh, what, what's the website? Oh, so it's very simple. xref.com. 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 I'm Tim at xref.com and you can get me through the through you LinkedIn. guys at Cub. LinkedIn, hey, LinkedIn, reach out yeah. to Cub. Uh, awesome. Mr. Griffiths. Fantastic. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. That it's was incredible. Fun. Yeah, it's been All awesome. Right. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Uh, hope you enjoy the show.